Good morning. Welcome to the G Money Womack. And Womack, that ain't right. <laughs> Nothing like, like a great way to start, huh, George? All right. <clears throat> Let's try this again. <laughs> oh, man. All right. This is the G Money and Wustein show um, brought to you by the great mutinyradio.fm produced by stock from 1965 all right how are we doing this morning afternoon evening whatever time you guys listen to this uh i'm doing all right it's a lovely day here in the mission district of lovely san francisco california i guess it's gonna take me a minute to get words out right anyway i guess that's why we're here uh what was i thinking oh yeah (laughs) i was thinking last night um Oh, yeah. Let's start with this. I was listening to a really cool show that um, I really love called The uh, Saturday Night Sleepover. And it's uh, a really awesome podcast from a couple of guys out of, um, I think they're out of New York, but um, they're certainly East Coasters. And uh, they they had the most concise version of, um, well, last week was Friday the 13th. Yeah, and uh, today's like Sunday the twenty second. Who cares? But um, <laughs> the um, the movie they picked was Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, and um, Jason lives. And I had seen this movie before and stuff. And like, um, I have really cool memories associated with the very first uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and. Um, I love that movie, but, you know, uh, I've always kind of thought of it as, you know, uh, one of those just slash for slash sake type movies, you know, like um, Nightmare on Elm Street kind of did the same thing, uh, but a little, a little, well, way different, really. But um, in the in the realm that when they start, they're originally just this like creepy horror flick and um, well, I guess Halloween does this, too. But anyway, but as they continue, especially through the 80s, after, say, Dawn of the Dead is released and like gore has become more of a, um, a studio sees that shit making money. And um, just funny how uh, George Romero like <laughs> had two two like different uh, times that he really slapped the shit out of Hollywood and like, you know, then they turn around and make a whole lot of money off his back. But anyway, <clears throat> what I was trying to say was, so, um, in the 1980s, when I was coming up, the, <clears throat> I get to watch all these movies in the theater. Cause my mom, we'd, we'd, we'd play, uh, we'd take like a, like a hooky day like just for fun like if she had the day off and i i suddenly would have the day off and we go watch a movie down at the movie plex and shit so i've seen like all these all these goddamn movies i saw terminator in the theater like and it's all just all this shit but anyway it's a long ass way to get to so jason was one because i'm not a big horror movie fan i like life is scary enough folks (laughs) i don't need that shit but um even though I know it's fake, I don't like watching people's getting their eyeballs poked out or fucking their head split with a fucking, you know, meat cleaver or whatever. It's like, I, I get it. <laughs> He's dead now. 
But anyway, um, they they go on to explain what's really great about this podcast is really deeply researched. And it's not like some cynical ass snarky fucking podcast like mm, like over the top they did. And most goddamn podcasts you'd go to would be like, look at over the top and it's so goofy and this silly ass movie and look how fucking gay it is. And this is like a goddamn commercial for Nambla and shit, right? All that horse shit, right? Things that just every, every fucking time they do it, that's generally the tone that you'd get well i was running through because like i i like the damn movie it's it's weird it's it certainly has a lot of homoerotic overtones like that's that's non-debatable like the nambla shit that's really not like but it's so obvious it's like well get that shit off the table and talk about the fucking movie fucking that's <laughs> from listening to them the fucking movie all right please so what eventually happens is I run into this goddamn podcast and they have an over the top and I was like, well, you know, either way, it's still a fun listen to see how what what's your angle on it because maybe this will be something I'd like to listen to like in the future to see what else you have to say about other things. So I go to the over the top episode and um, what's really neat is it's not cynical. They're just they they start talking about how the fucking movie actually got made. And, like, they have all this really cool document, like, their website, like, you know, you can go, like, check out our website, and it's just filled with links that have, like, these really cool, like, YouTube clips and, like, really neat articles about, um, like, the pro arm wrestling circuit in the 1980s with these really cool old photographs and shit, and it's really, really cool. Which, by the way, I would not be surprised at all since Glow is back. If the arm wrestling motherfuckers don't have a thing coming out sooner than later. But anyway, <laughs> they're talking about Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives <laughs> with a fucking exclamation point. And um, they start going through how um, they give you like a short history to to catch up on where Jason is at this point. And like. I like I knew what it was, but then I get to six and I'm just like, it's now we're in like cartoon land to me. It's like what like I was saying about Nightmare on Elm Street. The first for my money, the first two are really good, creepy, weird fucking horror premises. And I don't give a shit if they break the rules, quote unquote, in the second movie. It's a just a creepy, weird movie. And anyway. And like now, nowadays, there's like the big thing about how it's, um, you know, it's like a homosexual subplot and all this stuff. But fine. It does, the movie itself is effective. <laughs> That's all I cared about. The guy, I, there's scenes in that movie and frankly, all of the nightmare movies that are indelible. Once you've seen them, they, they'll stick with you. And uh, one of them, like I can think of right now is like the bus into like on this piece of jagged rock swinging back and forth in his nightmare as freddy krueger is the driver bitch and um and that like that type of shit that all comes from three four five type shit the idea that like now he he becomes this cartoon character basically for kids he's like gory uh hanna-barbera type shit 
you know, and they become these. Um, I mean, they always were. This is the thing about these, especially these two movies, Nightmare and uh, Friday the 13th. They always started with a base level of like gore shit, but then they lean into this like that as if the studio seems to think that that's the way that this movie will sell. So that's how they determined to sell the movie is to just kind of up and up and up the gore quotient comparatively to the fucking story or direction quotient. (laughs) And it just, you know, that's how the movies kind of escalate through the thing. And they always uh, describe it really. I had two, I've heard two different people describe two different movies in sort of a similar way. Like the guys from San Francisco's own Laser Time were going over Nightmare. Uh, well, they have a cool podcast. Um, Chris Antista, Antista um, started an offshoot podcast about just the Nightmare movies. And it's really good. And you should check it out. Just go to lasertime.com. Anyway, <laughs> the. The um, okay. Anyway, they both describe <clears throat> the uh, these movies as sort of a roller coaster ride, as they tick up and then they reach like a pinnacle, you know, of craziness, and then it's kind of a downhill from there, which is pretty apt, you know, because you could kind of kind of call like the downward slope, like the sameness of the of the. F- the, like the sameness of the repetition of gore, basically, you know, how it's continuously just more gore, more gore, more gore. And now the ride's over. Boom. You know, it's, it's done. Movie's done. <laughs> like your franchise is toast. <laughs> it's as if Nightmare didn't give a shit about like um, character branding, you know, like let's not put him on every piece of skittles and shit you know like can we not have him sell 900 numbers and shit no sell everything let's get every piece of money we can out of this motherfucker friday the 13th we're a little more brand conscious conscious is as in part six the guy uh who's like whoever is the head of the studio was like do whatever you want just don't make fun of fucking jason <laughs> okay so <clears throat> what he ends up doing in turn is making this movie like an early-ish sort of like, what's well, not early really, but like as far as the 80s, well, how about this? In this genre, it is an early parody of like the slasher film where it takes the creatures and shit and ramps up the gore co- quotient, but kind of comments on how goof-ass this whole situation is. It starts off with Horseshack bringing back Jason from the dead like fucking Frankenstein. And it's it's kind of amazing. So <laughs> that's another one of those images I won't forget where he gets hit like a bolt of lightning like like Ben Franklin and, um, and just, you know, turns into a Frankenstein monster basically going to look for the kid who brought him back. That part of the story seemed to always elude me and really kind of brought me into the, oh, okay. Because if you think about it, the story of Jason is like the counselors end up murdering this kid because, or, you know, neglected, neglectedly murdering this kid, you know, because he's kind of like a Down syndrome kid. Um, he's a little slow and um, he ends up drowning in Camp Crystal Lake, which is in New Jersey. And um, 
so the mother exacts revenge on the counselors. Movie one. With the cool Carrie twist. Two, the kid. It's all revenge tale. The kid comes back to avenge the mom. He takes the head, puts it back in the uh, in his little weird shack, and uh, goes out to ostensibly, you know, seek revenge on the murder of his mother. <clears throat> the third one, you know, he comes back. They kill him. Fourth one, he comes back, but it's like a they kill him. They fucking like incinerate him, put him in the ground. It's like I think that one's called like the final chapter or some shit. Done. Five is like the Corey Feldman one, which people debate about. It's a it's a fine movie, and um, that's the one where like he has visions of Jason and he's like acting out the shit, and then it turns into Jason actually comes back like a Frankenstein monster, and um. <clears throat> resolves basically to the end of the series and it's just it finally like it it put some context and sense and it was so concise and so well told that it like changed like changed, turned my head around about the whole damn movie series like instead of like i would just till like this morning basically what i just sloughed it off is like yeah i get it like i get it but i get now that it has like more of um i can see like there's more depth to it it's more interesting in that way. And um, I thought it was cool. So there you go. That's a really cool fucking website to check out. Oh, and um, they I don't think they mentioned this at all, but, well, they, they, they hint at it. They speak about a Mario Bava film, but the Mario Bava film that is basically the same movie as Friday the 13th is called Twitch the Death Nerve, where it's got 13 portrait. Protagonist, early protagonists, and um, they all end up eating it in really kind of gruesome and horrific ways. And that shit came out in the mid seventies, like I think seventy seven or something like that. And Friday the Thirteenth was simply a like done in the old style of you know uh, showman corman type shit. Sell the poster. Now we got to write a movie. And then they wrote the revenge murder mystery tale. So there you go. Anyway, so I was also, so that led me into thinking about, um, um, cause Friday, uh, the 13th was, had a 3d version and, um, there was jaws 3d. Like now I haven't like, I'm a fan of movies. I'm not a goddamn researcher of, well, I've done a lot of research and shit, but you know, I'm not, writing it all down and you know regurgitating the shit but i do remember back in the early 80s just from shit on tv and everything that there was this revival of uh 3d and i have a sneaking suspicion that that's like the tail end of the um like 50s 60s nostalgia you know how um most quite often in history it's it takes about a 20 30 year cycle between like um wanting to, like nostalgia they're like i, I just watch it's called nostalgia cycles you know we're like in the 90s shit was about shit in the 70s you know hey it's the fucking brady bunch again <laughs> you know and 
it's i think it has something to do with that was the age of the people who are making the culture in the future and those are the things that they remember therefore that influences the little people coming up in like this weird loop and so at the tail end of like the seven so in the like i said in the 80s they're doing the 50s 60s thing if I'm talking from the music, like the Ronettes came back, Dirty Dancing was a thing, all that fucking mo. Well, the Big Chill is what really kind of brought the Motown music back into the, uh, like back into the public consciousness of like, yeah, man, that's good shit. You know, obviously it never went away, but you know, it's really a good nostalgia bomb on the on the country there. So, um, in that same vein, uh tacking into those 60s type things the 3d you know is a big part of that so with as we do today as technology improves let's make some 3d movies so they were making um like it was weird too like these big fucking franchises seem to all have like the third movie in their series kind of fall in the same like one two year cycle of the 3d like craze again and (laughs) it was jaws 3d that's friday the 13th 3d there's amityville horror 3d (laughs) and i was thinking if rocky 3 had come out like two years a year two years prior I guarantee you that fucking movie would have been Rocky 3D and that would have been the shit because the first thing that came to my mind was Clubber Lang, Mr. T, the biggest jump scare in the movie would have been not the boxing and like, you know, uh, fucking, you know, Rocky getting punched or fucking Clubber Lang, you know, uh, hitting the shit out of him. The biggest jump scare would have been when Clubber Lang <laughs> like looks it looks at rocky but instead he looked dead down into the camera because it's 3d and basically tells rocky i'm gonna fuck your girl dog <laughs> but that would have been <laughs> mr t looking at the audience and just telling the whole goddamn crowd i'm gonna fuck your girl now <laughs> ah! <laughs> just see people run. I don't even think they would have been able to fucking put that movie in the theaters. <laughs> that would have been more horrifying than any like axe through the chest, <laughs> entrails getting ripped out, you know, any of that horseshit. So that that, that fucking is crazy. <laughs> Clever Lang is an amazing fucking character, and that goddamn that would have been just the best. Like, I would love to see a 3D Rocky or Rocky 3 in 3D or just Rocky 3D. So, anyway. Um, oh, okay. So, um, the thing about uh, the Freddy, it, going back to that shit real quick. <clears throat> it really makes me laugh, especially going through that, uh, that Laser Times show. Like how different he is like i think i think in the second movie like he says like you know i'm gonna kill you fucker like he he's like he's creepy but he's not like he doesn't like curse and shit all the time like but by the third one 
Oh, prime time, bitch. <laughs> You're in prime time now, bitch. Like, it's so weird. Like, why is he always calling people bitch? Like, it's it doesn't make any sense. He, he don't call nobody no niggas, you know? Like, it seemed acceptable. Bitch was halfway acceptable, like, in the, in the 80s. And that's fucked up. <laughs> that shit makes no sense. Like... Why in the shit would bitch be okay, right? Like, ugh. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, it just weirds me out. Like, why is he doing that shit? And like, all the dumb shit that he would sell. Like, just hearing some of that shit brought back so many memories. Like, I totally remember that stupid 900 number he had. It was like 900 numbers were fucked up. Like, ask your parents permission. Fuck you. Like, that's just as bad as the um, that um, age verification click on a <laughs> on a computer. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I am. Like, of course. Like, <laughs> at least on the telephone, you'd have to pick your boys down because you'd sound like an asshole if you didn't. <laughs> you know, you're like, dude, there's no way that you are <laughs> fucking 18 years old, right? And but online, it's just like, click, fuck you. Sure, I, sure I am. <laughs> anyway, let's see something here. Boop, uh, boop, boo. boo, boo. Oh, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Oh, that's a weird thing, too, I heard somewhere. They were talking about how um, there was this Tom Hanks movie called Mazes and Monsters. They were like, it's really hard to find. Maybe it is now. Maybe they don't, another shitty thing, like maybe that's why they don't put that stuff on the, um, on the, streaming services as much or something which makes no fucking sense but i like are you really trying to appease tom hanks that much you know why why wouldn't you that fucking thing was so ubiquitous my entire life mazes and monsters it's at every stupid video store it's in every fucking dollar bin if you like kicked a dollar bin over like 40 of them shits would come scattering out they're like those shits were like roaches mazes and monsters and it's a shit show of a movie if you're not familiar mazes and monsters is a uh, movie that co-stars tom hanks i believe it's a canadian production and um it is just a shit show it's like it's the movie version of the um D &D panic that people were like under the impression of or whatever um, like, um, like, the, and I'm sure there were kids that would do this because there are kids that LARP today or there, there's adults that LARP today, but, um, like to set the mood for shit, they would go down in the sewers to like play the game and shit. I could see people doing that, but like, they go the extra mile to be like, now he's like this weird, changed, nutty Satanist, and they like go off and like murder each other. But it's so boring that by the time they get to that shit, it's like, please kill it. I want everybody to die in this movie, right? That's a horrible way to feel about anybody, right? Let alone a whole cast of people. 
Tom Hanks ain't saving no show. There's no show to save. It's just it's bad. It's just just awful, 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 awful. So, um, speaking of movies, I was thinking of um, um, uh, what's his name, Federico Fellini. I was thinking about style guys, but I was thinking um, about I. What I was really thinking about was, like, I love Roman Polanski movies. Now, I don't give a shit if <laughs> you get mad if you want. What, you're mad about the girl and the rape. I get that, right? But by the way, if you're mad at me about that, you have to start Xing off, like, maybe 80% of what you love as far as pop shit. <laughs> it's like the Weinstein thing. Like, come on, man. They, I knew about that shit in the fucking 90s. And I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan. How in the fuck is... Like, oh, oh, really? But women would be... I am not comfortable being in a room with um, Weinstein. <laughs> I, I, if I know about it, there's no way people in the vicinity didn't know. So, it's like... like I, I already talked about this shit before. Like, Cosby and the fucking chicks. It's like, dude... Read a Jet magazine at any time in that fucking period. I, I don't know, in between, let's say, when I was coming up, any of that time until he got caught, basically. The whole time his show was on, everything. It's in Jet. People are like, oh, he's weird. Yeah, yeah, he's fucked up. And so is like, and I was, it, it brought me back to thinking about like Weinstein and Tarantino. Like, well, you think Tarantino's fucking free and clear of all that shit too? There's no way. There's no way. If you tell me that that dude never fucked like an underage chick or manipulated somebody into doing weird shit, I, I don't believe a word that ever comes out of your mouth because you are full of shit. There's no way. There's no way. And I was, and it just made me think, like, all right, you know, I, I like Roman Polanski, and I'm not going to fucking sit here and harp on his personal life, especially someone whose personal life was, like, legitimately fucked around by life. That dude got a bum rap from the start, and he is a genius film. He is, like, one of those people I aspire to. I don't have a lot of, like, heroes in this world, but... That fucking guy can make a movie like it's nobody's business. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about Chinatown. I'm, I've seen basically everything from his student films that are amazing to the shorts that he did right before. Like, oh, fuck you. Cul-de-sac is just mind-blowing. Like, just these great fucking knife in the water. Get the fuck out. Like, they're just atmospheric. Like, everything. Like, um... I always forget the one he does with uh, what's it, Catherine Deneuve or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah, that's the one where she's a nutter in the uh, apartment, like his psycho movie and shit. But that's the one that got him um, picked up in Hollywood. And you know what? I'm not going to look it up. Um, Yeah, yeah, that was the shit. It was the shit. And like, um, yeah, yeah. So between that, so like he's like in this fucked off Polish post-world, like, World War II hellhole fucking lifestyle. Um, I think, like, one or both of his parents get fucked off in the war. Like, his dad's, like, a complete shithead, I think. Um, <clears throat> he comes over to America. He makes fucking, my, personally, my favorite, one of my favorite movies, period, let alone horror films, Rosemary's Baby. 
and like Chinatown. It's like on this roll. And um, of all the weird shit to happen to a person in life, to like the house that his girl, his girlfriend, wife, is he married? I think what they were, yeah, they were married to so, uh, Shannon Tate. She's in a house. There were these killers show up, and they're not even the people that they came to kill. <laughs> that's fucked up, man. Right? You're, that's like staying at your buddy's house, and your buddy's like, yeah, man, this guy's let me rent his house. And then they guys who come to kill the guy who rented you the house are there, and they're like, well, fuck it. We said we're going to kill, so we got to kill. And then they kill everybody in the house, including you and your friend. And you're like, what the fuck? We did nothing here. You know, which is what kind of fueled part of the quote unquote like the madness of like the case and whatever but you know that's all it's neither here nor there the real thing is um about these assholes and their fetish it's like i started thinking like well one thing that i do like about his movies is that he never fucking draws me into his weird kinks and fetishes unlike this guy quentin tarantino I don't want to see people's feet. Why are you why are you putting me into your kink? Cuz like that's fucked up. Like your weird nigger and your weird fucking uh uh feet kink, right? <laughs> like doesn't make any sense and I feel gross with you drawing me into your weirdness, okay? And then I thought another director who i love but i don't like and i can't really there's very it's a thin window of movies that i can sit and watch is uh federico fellini because i do not like and, and like i he's a visual feast in like if you are individual this man can change your world because he is like he's serving up a buffet of just dizzying spectacle basically and it's wonderful like it it he's he's sort of like the Friday the 13th and Jason movies in a way where he starts off small telling these like really cool interesting intricate kind of stories about like human beings and their fucking relations right and they start getting off into more abstract and more weird and more abstract and more weird until that's like the visual feast that you come to expect. Like they always had these flares of he always had an eye. He always had a great eye. But like the idea that um, at this point he's like, well, if to sell a Fellini movie, we got to make sure it's just a visual feast. Fuck the story, really. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen Roma a few times. I still couldn't tell you what it's about. <laughs> right? <laughs> Satrion, all this Satyrian or whatever, all that shit. It's like, just pitch it up and send it out and people will eat it up. Fine. Okay. Well, I don't like how he's just a complete abusive asshole to his wife, who seems like maybe an angel. <laughs> <laughs> she's like a lovely person and he is a complete he fucks around on her all the time and the idea that he fucking revels in it and makes him star makes her star in the movie with women that he's fucking like at the time and makes her like act across them is such a weird psychological kink and abuse it makes me fucking sick 
it just it like Juliet of the Spirits is a gorgeous movie with one of the most indelible scenes I've ever seen in my life. And like the idea that he's making this fucking poor woman who is one of the great actresses of all time just have to like play this weird second fiddle meek role to this busty bitch that he's fucking around with it's so gross i can't watch it it's like no that's what i mean in the difference between like i don't like tarantino's shit's not so gross i can't watch his movies but it's gross when they come up Fellini's shit is so gross as like an affront to like your sensibility like eight and a half is objectively especially for fucking egotistical filmmakers a good movie, like one of those like top tier movies. I can't stand that movie because it's all about him. Just well, you know, like I can't get my shit together, so like I'm gonna like you know learn about myself and then lust after this other chick who's not my wife. And what the fuck is going on here? What what is this movie about? Because I don't give a fuck about you and your dick issues at all guy and in every movie you keep coming at me with this horse shit fuck you man you know so it's like i like juliet of the spirits you know and like la strada and you know there's like a couple little fuckers in there that's cool but like you you give me the eight and a half and i'm out that's like my uh friday that their jason lives type shit which uh, jason lives actually really good let's go to the seventh one that's like my fucking nightmare on elm street three where he's pulling bitches into tvs they're turning into big ass worms like you know the you know i yeah they're cool looking but <laughs> i have completely lost interest at this point <laughs> right i like i get why some people like that shit because it's like a bugs bunny cartoon gone gross that's cool i can see why people like that but it's like there's too much other shit out there in the world for me to watch to like like come back to that shit ever like cuz i can see it in my mind yeah i do know i remember when he's playing the fucking person like a marionette doll yeah i've seen it <laughs> i'm good <laughs> we're gonna go through this shit again <laughs> right but um you know uh i don't like that shit like um what's the other really super famous one is like uh woody allen right i like any hall i like bananas i like sleep i like all the shit basically up to any hall you know, that's cool. Other than that, they just start getting into that weird, why are you bringing me into your fucking weird world fetish shit again? It's like, dude, ugh, don't. And it's, it, it, it's nonstop, basically, after that point. And, like, I just, I'm out. Like, I like the ones where it's not that, which are rare. But, like, everybody shits on small-time crooks. And I think that movie's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one with like Tracy Ullman and um, I think John Lovitz and shit and they're like robbing this bank like next door it's just like a screwball comedy type thing it has nothing to do with his weird fucking personal life and it just goes on and it's just to me it's just a clean fun solid ass movie so there you go <sighs> let's see on that note that's about a half hour of me just jabba jawing and let's keep on fuck
See, I did. I hate Fellini. Oh, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <clears throat> completely off topic. I've been um, been I've been being <laughs> I've been the engineer uh, now for a couple of weeks. Like uh, I think next week will be uh, yeah, next week will be a month of the um happy hour at uh open mic happy hour open mic if you look on the podcast feed um i've been producing that show now um with the great trina um i always fuck up her last name i want to call her trina roberts and i know i'm wrong and once again i'm not gonna look it up but trina is she's bad with names too so i don't care in fact it's part of her shtick she's super funny and like we've been kind of have i think we've been having a really great run of shows so if you want to um check those out uh check out the uh on the mutiny radio.fm uh website uh click on over to the uh the podcast and uh look for the uh open mic uh happy hour and you'll hear me at t- up top and uh i usually go on and do uh do like five minutes and shit and um you can hear me make an asshole out of myself and uh generally not get laughs or get a couple laughs or whatever I get to uh, I get to say whatever I want, and that's pretty fun. Kind of like I get to do here, except uh, I get an audience, and that's that's pretty fun. Oh, <laughs> I like this. This is a homophobe joke. <laughs> Trump, Trump, bored, bored. <laughs> right? Trump, Trump, bored, bored. Could you? Was that like? Uh, that's like the punchline. Like, what's um? What's uh what's the White House what's the White House cabinet's uh motto? <laughs> Trump Trump board board. <laughs> there you go. Wrote a joke for you right there, right on here. <laughs> Here's another fucking thing. Like I there's some things like I used to really care about, like um like certain phraseology and shit, like and I'd like, yeah, there's a lot of shit I used to care a lot more about. And I'd go digging and digging and digging and do a bunch of research and stuff and really kind of get to the meat. You know, I was like, am I fucking really? I'm always trying to learn. But I was really like in a deep learning phase trying to understand basically how in the hell the world works. <laughs> and then like how in the hell systems work in the, in the world. And then like how in the hell like... um like, let's go to when I was working at the record store, you know, I'd just start finding about, like, the history of music, and, like, it was like, god damn, I, like, I've learned, I know a lot about music, <laughs> and um, one of the cool things was, um, um, well, one of the weird things about music that I always kind of find interesting is that, or kind of a bummer, is that there's always like a certain point in the past, it's basically at the dawn of recorded sound, where everything's kind of up in the air at that point, you know? It's like, well, and then it's word of mouth. And that sucks, man, because like only like people like what I would call like the winners or people with uh, a lot of ambition or uh, people with a lot of money were the people who would end up being, uh, it, you know, as they are today, generally, like the influencers, quote unquote, people who influence society, you know, and um, uh, sp- which, which is what makes like the, uh, what you might call it, the, 
the field recording stuff to me really invaluable of uh oh god of like muddy waters and stuff like i'm drawing all kinds of blanks but if you look up like smithsonian there was a great was it lomax yeah i want to say it's alan lomax his field recordings across america to find um like what rural americans do as music and culture and stuff they're some of the most important archives that we have in the country and muddy waters was one of those people who happened to uh, be at one of those stops and um what does this have to do with history music george well i'll tell you it at the end of the uh at the end of the line of music stuff like i was saying there's only so many people in you never hear, you will never hear from the people who may be or probably are just as or more talented than the people you do hear about because they're either A, not as ambitious, or B, are just called content with what they have. And they have their little niche and they don't need any extra bullshit. <laughs> you know, they've reached their upper limit of horseshit and ta da, this is all we've got here. So like I just it makes me sad and makes me wonder about like who like of all the, like the lost weird musicians and shit like that that like especially pre-sound days that are just kind of it kind of are especially lost to history and um um along those lines actually uh that's really bums me out about World War 1 or any world war really is that um just all the loss of the needless of course loss of fucking lives of like especially that generation because there's it's such an interesting time in the world that like it changed these men for sure the ones who fucking made it out of that goddamn meat grinder but the um the just that massive loss of like potential of you know of history changers of whoever the fuck that just go down in this fucking horseshit just horseshit period dead stop you know that's a bummer man you know it's because it's like it's it's not it's like the um the the opposite of fear of the unknown it's like the wonder of the unknown the um the mystery of the unknown the uh the futility of the unknown? Man, not really. Who knows? But, hey. <clears throat> Speaking of the fucking world wars and, and declaratives and sentences and shit like that, I don't even think I ever got to what the fuck I was actually going to talk about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was talking about um, uh, certain platitudes and all that horse shit. But um, while I'm thinking about World War II, I was just going to bring this up. <clears throat> working at the record store when I was first working there um, I learned about basically how um, metal dudes and I remember this is 1995 okay <laughs> I'm like 15 so okay there's the internet is a thing that I have at home that I use as a the BBS service. It's all dial up. If you want to look at fucking titties or you want to do anything, it takes a long fucking time. And um, you know the world was more. Here's what's weird. 
the world was never any more narrow <clears throat> or any less crazy. It's simply the intercommunication, instant intercommunication that people have nowadays that's different. And it's all public. A lot of it's public, which is another weird part about it. Because, you know, in the back in whenever, this is interesting, but like, <clears throat> like people, people from that, that I've heard, like that used to work in like, say, photo labs back in those days, like in the 80s and the 90s, those folks would say like, um, at least once a day, you're going to get nude pictures in here, right? Just do me a favor and just don't jerk off at work, you know. <laughs> you know, take the pictures. I don't care. Just don't be a weirdo here at work. Fine. So, like, I just wonder, like, all those weird pictures and like, you know, fetish shit that would just be through the post office. It's just amazing to me, right? There's reams and reams of weirdness just sailing through our like awesome post service. So it's just weird, but um. The metal dude thing was that, you know, especially at that time, being like a 15-year-old black kid in Michigan, it's like, I I had always liked kind of rock and, I always liked rock and roll music, but like, um, metal shit was like, you know, it always, like, the accoutrement was like a purposeful stay away type thing, and when I was coming up, the whole fucking satanic panic, and fucking, these kids are gonna go murder their families, and all this horse shit, and, um, like, you know, it, I, and personally, I don't, I mean, I knew people who liked, you know, like, fucking, like, I liked Guns N' Roses and shit when their record came out, you know, like, shit like that, right, so, like, I've always, like, you know, that's, pretty close to you know it's not metal it's it's like heavy metal i guess whatever it's just loud rock and roll all of this it ain't metal but um but the metal dudes are always like a step beyond that right so you know you'd see like uh like the actual not heavy metal like people conflate the two sentences a lot there's like what people can call quote-unquote metal like uh fucking twisted sister some horse shit like that and they, yeah sure that's quote unquote metal, but that would be like commercial metal. What I'm talking about is stuff that's on like Metal Blade Records, you know, and like Cannibal Corpse and fucking well, the 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 most commercial brand of that type of stuff would be like Slayer, if for my money, right? Maybe what uh, Sepultura, but you'd have to kind of get in there to know that shit. Or uh, what's the one they did after that? Soulfly. I used to like Sepultura. They're pretty cool. Bunch of Brazilians and um. I'm of I'm of that fucking mental philosophy of if it don't swing, you ain't really making music, right? You don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing, right, baby? The um the um it's gotta have a rhythm. If it it be it doesn't have to. Like I can do dissonance and weirdness too, you know? But it seems to me generally it's it's best if it's going somewhere. Like how um like I was thinking about this shit too the other day. It was weird. Like how European films, I was thinking about how like Euro games are to American games, like the, how they were at least until like kind of the recent, let's say last 20, 15, 20 years. How American games were really like theme heavy, like well, we're in the old West. And then like um, European games, especially like German games and stuff like that, would be like um, more. Um, <clears throat> that's a good way to put this. 
<laughs> well, the, the term would be area control, but that doesn't make any sense if you're not in the if you don't know games. So let me just say it like this: it's like um, it's a it's a Miranda it's a meandering tale building to some definite conclusion. Okay, so it may feel kind of like it's wandering, like um, like a French New Wave film or something, where or um, or like Roma, where it's like. This motherfucker feels like it's not doing anything, but it, it, it this thing feel it's either it, either we're headed somewhere <laughs> or we're not. And if we're not, I'm gonna be pissed. But if we are, this might be the best thing I've ever fucking seen. Okay, <laughs> right? Like the way that they tie all this shit up might be the best thing ever. Right? This is part of the fun to me about the idea of um uh, European uh, cinema, games, all that type of shit. Right? So, um, why in the fuck did I bring that up? Oh, well, I've got this board game at the house, but I'll talk about that later. Um, oh, God, why did I bring that up? Oh, about metal. Okay, yeah. So, like, the idea is like, uh, oh, yeah, okay, I was going metal and distance and distance. Yeah. To be, like, dissonant, you better be, like, European shit, and hopefully you end up somewhere. If not, why are you wasting my time, basically? that That's why. thats I was trying to think of a description that would make sense to why I like dissonance. Like, I love, I was, like, a really big early, well, as far as I'm concerned, I don't, nobody I knew, and to this day, it's still, I think, a very small subclass. People that like no-wave music, you know, like the uh, New York arty, weird like Arta Lindsay, fucking DNA, Mars, fucking uh, who else? Eh, a bunch of people. I'm not. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here and fucking rattle off a bunch of names. But I, I, I can appreciate it um, if it's done right. I mean, like or um, Ornette Coleman does it in jazz. Uh, John Coltrane does it in jazz. The only Thelonious Monk does it in jazz. So like, if I can take it in jazz, why couldn't I take it in rock and roll type thing, right? You know, it's a literal, it's the, if you're going to call it fusion, right? It, right? If, like, there's fusion music, which is, like, fucking horrible, like, Manhattan transfer and all that bullshit. And then there's, like, actu the actual fusing of two ideas, which is, like, DNA in, like, like I said, um, theoretical girls or, you know, any of that Glenn Branca shit. You know, or Rise Chatham or whatever. Like, why am I listening off my fucking bona fides? It's just things. Yeah, those are people though, that um, that do, and they they would probably not <laughs> appreciate the term, but they're literally like fusing the ideas of like jazz and and classical, and just using rock instruments to uh, propel the form, probably because. Uh, they're probably easier, more easily accept, accessible. They're fucking louder, you know, you know. But anyway, um, yeah. Why the fuck did I start talking? Oh yeah. So anyway, so metal and metal. <laughs> so there's like a difference to me, like the Amer like the rock me like a hurricane type horseshit is, you know, or fucking. I mean, it's cool, fun shit. Like, even, uh, you know, if you were to even call uh, fucking Guns N' Roses metal, which is, oh, if you fucking say so, or Wasp or some shit like that, right? You know, we are Satan's players or pawns or some shit. You know, fine. 
<laughs> fine. But if you really want to talk about like the real shit, which would be like like it's a like the DNA to the fucking Manhattan transfer of the shit, then you're talking about your metal blade artists, like I said. And um but sometimes in there Ed Slayer especially with Rick Rubin and all that stuff, in Sepultura, they have a swing to it which um Makes it like you know infinitely listenable. You can go back to that shit, but um, there are some fucking bands in there that are just—they're trying to play so fast, and they're just in their own little fucking world. Sometimes it's cool. Sometimes it's like, ugh, we're not going anywhere with this. <laughs> we're just not going anywhere with this, and you're just doing this to be annoying and fine. But um, what it made me think of, especially when I was 15, because I was playing bass myself and all that stuff, and um. I was like, oh, especially this one customer who was, to me, I can see his face in my mind, and he's still, to me, one of the most influential, coolest people I've ever met, and he never really said much except be a fucking nice dude, and um, it was that, oh, these metal dudes aren't fucking weird Satanist psychos, like, you know, like, (laughs) upside down crosses, I mean, maybe they are about that shit, but like... At, at at heart, to be able to play the shit that you play in metal, you have to have an OCD nerd quotient so fucking high as to rival your Bill Gates <laughs> and your <laughs> any any really good programmer. You know, like you'd have to to spend the amount of time that it would take to do all these fucking hammer-ons and whammy bar shits and play like the Ingsfee Malstream fucking zillion notes Joe Satriani type shit you know like you like to to do the the um like any any part to do the song Rain and Blood by Slayer you have to have like that one actually is a no, 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 no. With like the solos in um, in Rain and Blood, you have to have fucking sat on that guitar. That thing is more than your wife. You'd have it's like you'd have to be you'd have to be pregnant with this thing. You'd have to raise this thing like a child. It, it never leaves you, and that is such an OCD thing that it just blows my brain back. Just like God damn. Like how in the fuck do you? I like it, it's it's just it's amazing. But that just tells me oh he's a nerd because he never gets out of the house and shit. But it doesn't make him a bad that which by the way that doesn't make him a bad person. Of course it doesn't, George. It just means that like the the personality type that it would take to be to actually the musicians in that world. It takes a really uh really kind of nerdy type of dude, and I always thought that was kind of interesting. In their fans. It's that same kind of thing where it's like, um, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like some hayseed carrying around a gun, like, like as open carry, as like a tool of intimidation. You know, that's all that horseshit crosses and all that bullshit is, and, you know, blood and fucking, you know, entrails getting ripped out and, you know, just all that bullshit. <laughs> it's basically like a, a stop sign, a stay away sign, you know, this is my little cult culture fucking world here and stay back you know it's just a really cool cute nerdy version of it and um so like i've always kind of had a soft spot for those dudes and um 
Uh, but I also have a fucking thing about the English language, and it kills me. The uh, <laughs> like the Holocaust. It should be a Holocaust <laughs> because there's been a lot of Holocaust. It takes this real special kind of dickhead to fucking declare your Holocaust the Holocaust <laughs> when, <laughs> when this world is built on that shit, right? Genghis <laughs> Khan never fucking started a Holocaust, right? <laughs> Which one's more impressive, right? The one where you wipe out all of fucking Asia and start moving into most of fucking Europe or... Six million Jews, right? Come on. Like, just as a numbers game, right? So, they're both Holocaust. So, you know, just a Holocaust. And fucking Rain and Blood starts, because the Rain and Blood's like about Auschwitz and shit, right? And so, it's it's the lead track off Rain and Blood. And it's, oh, actually, it's Angel of Death, I'm thinking of. And um, that's what I meant to, actually, by the way. Um, but anyway, Angel of Death has... Uh, the first line is I'll switch the meaning of pain. And I just want to crash my head into the fucking microphone and be like, <laughs> it's a meaning of pain. <laughs> and why be so pedantic about it? You asshole. Right. I don't know. It's just dumb, but it's like, it's just one of those dumb, like hiccups in my personality that just goes so you just go, you idiot. Why do you care about such stupid minutia, right? It's so... Du- well, what are you running from, guy? <laughs> What's your problem? You're worried about this asshole saying the and uh. Like, but then again, I was thinking, well, you're too fucking dumb for footprints, right? I remember growing up, like, I don't know, we'd go to church on Sundays and shit, right? And uh, I'd see footprints that stupid, like, poem painting that hangs in places like churches and weird barber shops and shit like it's kind of this weird ubiquitous sign that just sort of shows up in like you know places and like um homes a lot of homes have them and shit you know it's like footprints and it basically i i can hardly remember it because i'm too dumb for the fucking thing but like basically like I, there were like two sets of footprints on the beach and then there was only one and because that was like the lord carrying me type shit but it took me forever to figure out like what the fuck it even meant i would just sit there and go there's two tracks of what? <laughs> I hate shit that makes me feel dumb, right? Like this goddamn board game I have right now is making me feel fucking dumb. It's making me feel like, god damn it, like. And here's the thing it's not that hard. I'm smarter than this fucking game, and I'm gonna get it. And once I get it, I'm gonna be really fucking good at it. But god damn it, I'm just. It's it's just like how I, when I was learning Sudoku, right? It's like, it took me hours to, um, uh, to finally fucking, uh, what's the word? Oh, to just learn how to do one dumb fucking, uh, uh, puzzle. Just getting one out was like, not impossible, but basically, <laughs> and, uh, but once I got it, now that motherfucker, man, I do that shit so fast and so good. Like, it's just, get out of here, guy. Like, anyway. So, I'm going to get like that on this fucking game. But, 
anyway, I just here. This is this is footprints. I just I I brought it up here online so I could fucking read it. It goes this. It it's always this dumb picture of a like the edge of the shore with footprints really deep ass like deep like who the fuck's walking this deep in the sand? Footprints in the sand, right? Okay. And it always seems to be next to like a cliff face. It's like a cliff face, sand in the middle, beach on the right. Okay. So it goes, footprints. One night a man had a dream. See? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. he. <laughs> I'm already out. Once I read that shit, I mean, even as a kid, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I don't dream that much. So even as a kid, like, I just don't. Right? I don't know. My my conscience isn't needing to be freed all the time or whatever the fuck. Like, I don't have as much anxiety. I'm not worried about shit. It'll work out. If it won't, well, then it didn't. And we'll move on. Anyway. Okay, footprints. <laughs> One night a man had a dream. Okay. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. And the Lord, by the way, in this thing, every I think every fucking version I see on this page, like, nah, maybe. But Lord is all in caps. So, it's just regular, 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 Lord! So, okay, so I'm not going to read it like that, but just so you know, in my head, every time I say Lord, I'm yelling it, okay? <laughs> One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to him, and the other one to the Lord. I'm already lost, man. <laughs> right as a kid i'm lost as an adult i get it i think but uh, it it doesn't make any sense okay but anyway <laughs> because look all right i'm reading it and i'm rereading it and i'm rereading it as i'm thinking about it okay okay he's dreams he's walking along the beach okay so they're walking Okay, across the sky flash scenes from his life. Doesn't mean, okay, fine. All right, so, uh, hey, it's my baby being born. Okay, cool. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to him and one belonged, but they're both walking on the beach. There's going to be footprints anyway. It doesn't make any sense. There, does that mean that there's extra footprints? Right? Is that what that means? Is he's making his own as he walks footprints. Now there's an is is there there's an, another two sets next to you? Maybe the second fucking verse will figure this out. That's where I never got into the fucking poem because I'm already lost after the first fucking stanza. <laughs> I just oh by the way, I just happen to like that the first letter to each fucking stanza is uh capitalized. So if you read it, just the stanzas, it's O-W-T-T. But if you read the whole thing, it's Fout. <laughs> F-O-W-T-T. Anyway, okay. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. I'm assuming they're talking about the dream footprints. Okay? Or the, 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 the flashing, the flash, scene flash footprints, okay? I'm gonna just assume that here. Not his own, that he just walked in. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there were only one set of footprints. He also noticed 
that it happened at the very lowest and saddest time in his life. Okay. Now, (laughs) I'm going to assume here that Okay, I'm going to just make a fucking logic leap and say that, okay, so he's walking along the sand with the Lord. Okay, now they're both making footprints. Or, or, or okay, yeah, they're both making footprints. But maybe the Lord, being being a, a water walker, he ain't making none. But when, he, but when he sees one, right, I'm assuming this with this dumb allegory is going. When he, when he, when he has that vision... Lord takes a step. He takes the ground. He's walking with you, brother. But when not, he's up in the sky. Or no, he's just he's doing that water walk. It's just that's what I'm gonna assume. He's water walking in this shit, okay? So the first T. <laughs> this really bothered him. <laughs> and he questioned the Lord about it, who he's walking with. Lord Remember it's all in caps. <laughs> the Lord about it. Lord <laughs> You said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the most troublesome times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you'd leave me. Solid ass question. It's stupid. It's all stupid. And by the way, as a child, I'm so gone. I'm looking at anything else by this point. The Lord replied, My precious, precious child. What a condescending dick. I love you and I'll never leave you during your times of trial and suffering when you see only one set of footprints. It was I. It was then that I carried you. Ugh. It's such fucking horseshit. (laughs) <laughs> that's like the worst of the worst i didn't even want to read this thing because i just remember i, re- I remember it being bad i just forgot how shitty it is but like god damn it so okay i ugh. first off that 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 goddamn condescending line my precious precious child don't you ever fucking talk to me like that i don't give a fuck who you are Wait, whoa. <laughs> you can slow your fucking roll with that fucking, you're my, hey, baby, hey, baby. Motherfucker. That's, that's infuriating to me. That's the type of shit that me and the Lord made me in a fight right there. <laughs> like, there's a few things that really get up my ass, but start treating me like a goddamn child, and I'll start canceling my goddamn TV subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> but ugh. but it's still stupid it doesn't make any sense none of this makes any sense because like i said before the whole footprints thing doesn't make any well or first off they cop out on the whole thing by saying the first line one night a man had a dream so this is all a dream folks none of this is real you know right <laughs> you know it's an allegory fuck you man right but it's still it's just it, the logic on this thing breaks down the whole time 
like, ugh, I hate footprints. Where do the footprints all come from? I don't give a fuck. The, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the dentist's office. I don't know. The fucking Bible store. That's where it came from, motherfucker. <laughs> bitch <laughs> but it made me think of like uh like this is actually an interesting one though like don't cry over spilled milk it sounds like the beginning of a sentence it doesn't that's it don't cry over spilled milk full stop what don't cry after spilled milk bitch right i take that anything right because it doesn't make any sense like i'm okay don't cry over spilled milk okay so blah 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 blah. right there's supposed to be the end of the fucking sentence don't cry over spilled milk there's always more in the fridge don't cry over spilled milk uh it's just a cat She'll be fine. She can drink water. I don't know. <laughs> don't cry over spilled milk. Where's the rest? Because if it's just don't cry over spilled milk, fuck off. You can cry over whatever the fuck you want to cry about. It doesn't make any difference. Don't cry over... And by the way, what's the metaphor for spilled milk? What is going on with that shit? It doesn't make... Once again, I might actually... Fucking, I hate typing and talking, but God damn it, I'm going to do it. Okay, don't cry over spilled milk. I wish there was a way to just fucking do them. But who care? Don't tread on me. Oh, that's a funny one too. Um, that don't mess with Texas bullshit. Is um, I remember when that came out being like I told you over the uh, over the um, in the eighties and shit. There was an anti-littering sign. <laughs> You know, people don't mess with Texas. Yeah, it was a don't litter. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess in Texas. But. Oh, okay. So it means it doesn't do any good to be unhappy about something that has already happened and can't be helped. Don't cry over spilled milk. Spilt milk. But it, it doesn't make sense. It's an age-old proverb that's been around for hundreds of years. The first historical reference to the phrase appears in a document written by British historian James Howell in 1659. A saying most likely comes from European folklore, which is bullshit. But, okay, let's say this. It doesn't make sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's already happy. It's okay. I get it. It does, It's already happened. Just, just say that. Because don't cry over spilled milk. It's just a really obtuse way of saying something fucking obvious. It's already happened. Don't worry about it. Right? That's, the, that's just common sense. That's so unsatisfying. That's this is like one of the reasons why I like I've lessened my my uh my like research worries and shit because like spilt milk it like <laughs> it's a thing that's just like well that's it it's just so unsatisfying there's no thrill to be like oh so this actually came from an age old proverb well, don't cry over spilled milk ugh it makes me feel like a hundred years old when I hear somebody say that's dumb shit. 
it's still stupid. It's, it's like it's like it's, that's a long way to say. Don't worry about what just happened. <laughs> we can't change it. We can't change it. Don't cry over spilt milk. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know why I thought that was weird. I do because it doesn't make. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, don't cry over, you know, uh, spilled paint. Don't cry over industrial poisoning. <laughs> don't cry. Don't don't cry over. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess that's that's a decent way of using it, right? Don't cry over global warming. It's a thing that's happening. Is happening, right? So live with it. It's a shit fucking thing. It's the same thing. It, you're just shifting the 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 object, right? Don't cry over a broken cassette tape. Fine, you know. Don't cry over a car fire. I could I could maybe see that. My baby was in that car. Okay, yeah, probably cry over that, right? <laughs> right? It's absolutely fine to dwell on things once they've happened. Like, there's a weird thing, like, kind of going on. Like, well, I think this kind of always happens too with any nostalgic shit. Is like you'll get the anti-nostalgic backlash. It's absolutely fine to enjoy the things that you've enjoyed in the past. I do not understand how anybody could have any sort of have any kind of umbrage with that like my mother's sort of the opposite she's always wanting to like future forward you know not a black people are like that face forward future forward tomorrow's better than yesterday you know which is not always fucking true but in in the general sense you know it is oh there you go speaking of weird blank shit okay in the uh Oh, on MutinyRadio.fm. Yeah, sorry. Before I forget. Brought to you by Stockroom1965. I remember in the 80s, growing up, and, I got to, and rap music was coming out. And my first tape I ever got, was my brother gave it to me, was uh, Radio by LL Cool J. And I used to listen to it all the time, and it was great. But a funny thing along the way was... At the time, especially white people would, as they want to do, shit all over another person's culture, right? Well, that's not music. That's just poop, 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 you know, fuck you. It's just a fad like disco, right? No, you asshole. But anyway, <laughs> that's coming from a people that I think can't is are lacking something in themselves that can feel a zeitgeisty thing occurring. Like there's a visceral feeling I get. Like it, it's really kind of funny how when Occupy Wall Street happened, it occurred like maybe a month after I got off the streets. And I was like, there's no way in fucking hell I am going back out to live on the streets. <laughs> you know what I'm not going to do? That shit, right? But I remember at the time I would go down there to support those dudes and women, you know, just dudes and period people. And um, the visceral feeling you would get 
of like this it's like uh it it feels like the future it feels like it yeah it just feels inv- it's it's, a, it's an invigorating feeling that like you don't even have to be necessarily like-minded but future facing forward thinking people we're fucking coming together and we're tired of a lot of horseshit. And, uh, which I gotta fucking lean off of that word. I'm clocking. I'm trying. I should start clocking the number of times I say it in a fucking show. But anyway, it's, um, there was like a, from that I could feel, I was like, this, this is different. Like, I'd have, I'd gone through a lot of years of trying to tell people that, Something legitimate has to be done about all of this fuck. But look, and looking back on it, I absolutely understand. <laughs> I'm in my fucking teens and 20s, and so are my peers as general, and they don't give two shits about the world around them. That's fair. It's fucked up. <laughs> Blame it on the education system or whatever. But it's, it just is what it is. You know, they're... Their world is more about let's get fucked up and let's have fun or whatever, right? Let's, or let's, let's have fun. Let's live. This is our world, our new world. Let's fucking pull up a chair. At the same time, um, I'm sitting there digging and digging and digging and learning and learning and learning about like how, as I've grown up, as I done grown up, like all this, um, all this fucking like just how the world works and like how imp- and how scary it's becoming that like that southern coalition and these like conservatives are effectively just going into every district from the school districts to the um you know from the school districts to the capitals of every fucking state basically and are doing everything they can to oppress and suppress people while enriching corporations, basically, for the betterment of <clears throat> themselves personally. You know, basic shit. But, you know, I just got really detailed with who was doing what with what. And um, it, it was like, it, <laughs> so the idea that, like, Oh, so now you're interested? (laughs) It's a, it's a weird, it's like a holdover from my old music snobbery. This like, this weird high handedness I feel sometimes about, oh, oh, so now you give a fuck, you know, like the opioid crisis and shit. I remember that in the fucking 90s and 2000s as being a fucking serious issue. But now, in 2017, you want to fucking talk about it? <laughs> Excuse me for being cynical, but go fuck yourself. You have found a new way to turn this into a revenue stream, haven't you? Because that's it. Because nothing gets changed in this country unless people can make money off of it. That's it. And it's fucked up. Like it, But that's not the way it's always been, all the time, everywhere. But that's the dominant nature and the dominant feature of this country. 
right? It's what it's like. It's the um, musicians conundrum thing, right? Or the poets conundrum thing, right? It's like, well, the ambitious are the ones who basically steer the ship of history, whereas all those people who may have influenced those people languish and languish into the you know the quote unquote dustbin of history, and um. I don't know. I don't know. Fuck it. You know what? I'm going to play a little music. I'm going to come back and play Escape. And then we're going to get the fuck out of here. Because, you know, I think I've talked your ear off enough. Um, Which one do I want to do? Yeah, I'm thinking if I do 30 minutes of fucking Escape. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the more I diddle that right now, the, the fucking longer it's going to take. Fuck it. I was going to do Cheap Trick, but I'm just going to play fucking uh, Blondie again. All right. I'm going to play. Uh, I love this song. Oh, by the way, more weird revisionist bullshit. I don't like how people give Debbie Harry shit for fucking rapping. You know what? Fuck you, man. <laughs> I like Rapture. Rapture's the shit. And if you don't like it, get the fuck out, right? <laughs> but I'm not playing Rapture. <laughs> I'm playing Atomic. <laughs> shortage? Want to get away from it all? CBS offers you escape. You're alone and unarmed in the green hell of a Caribbean jungle. You're being trailed by a pack of fiercely hungry dogs and a mad hunter armed for the kill. A mad hunter who believes that you a human being, are the most dangerous game. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Escape, produced by William N. Robeson and directed tonight by Richard Sanville. Escape, carefully planned to free you from the four walls of today, free you for a half hour of high adventure. (laughs) 
tonight, we escape to an island in the Caribbean and the weird sportsmanship of a madman, as Richard Connell tells it in his unforgettable story, The Most Dangerous Game. My name is Rainsford. You may have heard of me. I make my living hunting big game for many of the major museums of the world, guiding parties of sportsmen on safari in Africa, Tibet, and South America. Perhaps you've had occasion to run across some of my books, but even if you have, there's one incident you won't find described in them, the full story of my most terrible hunt. It all began on board a private yacht en route to Rio. Whitney, my host, and I were smoking our pipes on deck, lounging back in steamer chairs, enjoying the sensuous drowsiness of the warm night. Uh, good dinner, eh? Excellent. Afraid I ate too much, though. Care for some uh, gin rummy? Oh, no, I don't care to move. All right. Uh... There's a rather large island off there that writes somewhere. It's uh, something of a mystery. Really? Oh, I didn't know. What island is it? The old charts call it Ship Trap Island. Suggestive name, isn't it? Sailors have a curious dread of the place. Some superstition. Or... Hmm, I, I can't see it. Well, you have good eyes, but even you can't see four miles or so through a moonless Caribbean night. No, not even four yards. <laughs> it is dark, isn't it? It'll be light enough in Rio. Oh, by the way, I uh, hope the guns have come from Purdy's. We should have some good jaguar hunting up the Amazon. Great sport, hunting. Best in the world. Yeah, it's for the hunter, not for the jaguar. Oh, why not? They've no understanding. Well, even so, I rather think they understand one thing. Fear. The fear of pain and the fear of death. Huh? Oh, Rod Whitney. <laughs> Who cares how the jagger feels? Perhaps the jaguar does. <laughs> oh, you're a big game hunter, not a philosopher. Look, the world is made up of two classes. The hunter and the hunted. We're lucky enough to be the hunters. Do you think we've passed that island yet? Yeah, can't tell in the dark. I hope so. Why? Oh, the place has a reputation. A bad one. Cannibals? <laughs> Hardly. Even cannibals wouldn't live in such an isolated spot. But it's gotten into sailor's legend somehow. Did you notice? The crew seemed jumpy today. Yes, they were a bit strange now that you mention it. Yes, it's a sort of dread, a kind of mental chill. I'll be hanged if I haven't felt it myself. Oh, pure imagination. But one superstitious sailor can infect a whole ship's company with his fear. Mm, maybe. Well, sometimes sailors have an extra sense which tells them when they're in danger. Well, <laughs> enough of that. I, I think I'll turn in. I'm not sleepy. I'll just have another pipe. Well, good night, then. See you in the morning. Yes. Good night, Whitney. It was very dark. So dark I could have slept without closing my eyes. The night would have been my eyelids. I puffed at my pipe, got drowsy. Then I was wide awake. A gun out there in the water, a gun. I sprang to the rail, strained my eyes in the direction of those shots, but I couldn't see a thing. I leaped up on the rail to get better elevation, and my pipe striking a rope was knocked out of my mouth. 
I lunged for it and tight fingers closed around my heart as I realized I'd reached too far and lost my balance. The blood-warm waters of the Caribbean closed over my head. When I came to the surface, the wash from the speeding yacht slapped salt water into my mouth, making me gag and strangling me. I coughed and spat it out and found my voice. Help! 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 The lights from the boat moved steadily away. They quickly became faint fireflies. And then they were blotted out by the night. I struggled out of my clothes and turned to the direction from which I'd heard those shots. I began swimming, slowly, conserving my strength. For an endless time, I fought the sea. Then I began to count my strokes. I thought I could possibly do another hundred before I... Someone was shooting game, almost at my very elbow, it seemed. It gave me fresh vitality. I swam toward the sound. Then I was in the breakers. In another moment, I was dragging myself from the swirling waters, pulling myself hand over hand onto the narrow beach, gasping, panting for breath. I saw that the dense jungle came down to the edge of the cliff, and I was on land, on blessed land, safe on the soft, warm sand. I awoke late in the afternoon, a sharp hunger picking at me. As I slowly came to my feet, I saw not far from where I'd been lying, signs of a terrible struggle in the underbrush that sloped so sharply to the beach. Some wounded thing, evidently a large animal, had thrashed about there in its death fight. And almost at my feet was a small glittering object, an empty cartridge from a 22. That was odd. The hunter had had his nerve to tackle a large brute with so small a gun. I examined the ground closely and found what I'd hoped for. The print of hunting boots. They pointed up toward a recess in the cliff, and I hurried quickly after them, for night was beginning to settle on the island. It was already dark when I came upon it. First I thought it was a village. There were so many lights. But as I came closer, I saw that all the lights were in one building, a chateau on a high bluff. In a few moments, my bare feet were padding up stone steps, and I stood in front of the massive oaken door. Good evening. Oh, please don't be alarmed. There's no need for that gun. I'm no robber. It, it, it sounds silly, but I fell off a yacht. My name is Sanger Rainsford of New York City. He was certainly not alarmed by me, this giant who stood facing me. The revolver in his hand continued to point steadily at my chest, and the man behind it was solidly built and black-bearded to the waist, and silent. He waved me in with the gun and closed the door behind me. I was in a huge hall, but there was no time to look around. Another man was coming down the broad marble stairs, an erect, slender man in evening clothes. I stepped toward him. I've uh, just been explaining to this chap that I've had an accident. My name is Sanger Rainsford. It is a great pleasure and honor to welcome Mr. Rainsford, the celebrated hunter, to my home. Well, thank you. I've read your book on hunting snow leopards in Tibet. I'm General Zarov. 
Believe me, General, I'm very happy to see you. All right, Ivan, you can put down that gun. This gentleman is a guest. Ivan is a, an incredibly strong fellow, but he has the misfortune to be a mute. A simple thing, but a bit of a savage. I'm even happy to see him. Oh, come, we should not be chatting here. You want clothes, food, rest. You shall have them. This is a most restful spot. I... I can't tell you how grateful I am. It is my pleasure. Follow Ivan, if you please, Mr. Rainsford. I was about to have my dinner, but it can wait. I think my clothes will fit you. I followed the man into a huge beam-ceiling bedroom with a canopied bed large enough for six men. Yvonne silently laid out an evening suit, and as I put it on, I noticed that it came from a London tailor. Hmm. <laughs> and Whitney'd call this place too isolated even for cannibals. <laughs> I went downstairs and sat down opposite Zaroff in a dining room that suggested a baronial hall of feudal times. The food was excellent. Perhaps you were surprised that I recognized your name, but I read all books on hunting, published in English, French, and Russian. I have but one passion in life, and that is the hunt. Why, oh, I notice you have some wonderful heads here. That Cape Buffalo over there is the largest I've ever seen. Oh, that fellow, yes, he charged me, threw me against the tree, fractured my skull, but I got the brute. Mm. I've always thought the Cape Buffalo the most dangerous of all big game. No, the Cape Buffalo is not the most dangerous. No? Here in my preserve on this island, I hunt more dangerous game. What, is there big game on this island? The biggest. Really? Oh, it is not here naturally. I had to stock the island. Well, what have you imported, General? Tigers? No. Hunting tigers ceased to interest me when I exhausted their possibilities. There is no thrill left in tigers, no real danger. I live for danger. A cigarette, Mr. Rainsford. Please. We will have some capital hunting, you and I. But what game? I'll tell you. You will be amused, I know. I think I may say in all modesty that I have done a rare thing. I have invented a new sensation. May I pour you another glass of port? Thank you. I have been a hunter all my life. But after many years of enjoyment, I found that the hunt no longer fascinated me. It had ceased to be what you call a sporting proposition. I always got my quarry, always. And there is no greater bore than perfection. Then you were a very good hunter, General. No, no, I had merely discovered that the animal has nothing but his legs and his instincts. Instinct is no match for reason. When I realized this, it was a tragic moment for me. As I told you, I love to hunt. And then it came to me as an inspiration what I must do. And that was? I had to invent a new animal to hunt. A new animal? Why, you're joking. I assure you I am not, sir. A new animal, and so? I found one. I bought this island, built this house, and here I do my hunting. The island is perfect for my purpose. There are jungles with a maze of trails in them, hills, swamps. And the animal, General Zara? It supplies me with the most intense excitement of all. I never grow bored now, for I have a quarry with which I can match my wits. An ideal quarry with courage, cunning, and above all, reason. But... No animal can reason. My dear fellow, there is one that can. I can't believe you're serious. But there's some 
grisly joke. Of course I'm serious. I'm speaking of hunting. You're speaking of murder. Surely your experience isn't the Did war. not make me condone cold-blooded murder. I'll wager you'll forget your notions when you go hunting with me. Why, you've a genuine new thrill in store for you, Mr. Raines. Thank oh. you. I'm a hunter, not a murderer. Oh, dear me, that unfortunate world again. But I, I hunt the scum of the earth, sailors from tramp ships, lascars, mongrels... Where do you get the them? This island is called Ship Trap. There is a row of lights out there on the reef which indicate a channel where there is none, only rocks. I control the lights from my tower. You wreck their ships and then you shoot down the men. Oh, but I treat my visitors with every consideration. They get plenty of good food and exercise. They get into splendid physical condition. You shall see for yourself tomorrow. Would you like some more port, please? What shall I see tomorrow? We'll visit my training school. It's in the cellar. I have about a dozen there now. Sailors. Inferior lot, I regret to say. More accustomed to the deck than the jungle. Ivan, we'll have our coffee now. Thick Turkish coffee, Mr. Rainsford. Very good. No. Is your appetite quite gone? No coffee, thank you. Just one, Ivan. It is a game, you see. I suggest to one of them that we go hunting. I give him three hours start. I am to follow, armed only with pistol of smallest caliber and range. My quarry eludes me for three whole days. He wins the game. If I find him, he loses. And if he refuses to be hunted? Oh, I give him the option. If he won't hunt, I turn him over to Ivan here. Ivan once served as official executioner to the great white czar, and he has his own ideas of sport. <laughs> Invariably, they choose the hunt. And if they win? To date, I have not lost. <laughs> I don't wish you to think me a braggart. Once they almost uh, win. Eventually, I had to use the dogs. The dogs? Yeah. Just step over here to the window a moment. I want you to see my courtyard. Go ahead, Mr. Rainford. Open the window, please. And I have a dozen, as you can see. They are let out at seven every night. If anyone should try to get into my house or out of it, well, it would be regrettable. And now I want to show you my new collection of heads. Will you come with me to the library, I, please? I hope you'll excuse me tonight. I'm really not feeling at all well. Oh, I am sorry. You need a good restful night's sleep. Tomorrow you'll feel like a new man, and then we'll hunt. Eh? I wonder at the promising prospect. But I was already hurrying from the room and up the marble stairway. I heard him calling after me. Sorry you can't go with me tonight. I expect rather fair sport, a big, strong native from west coast of Africa. He looks resourceful. The bed was good. I was tired, but I didn't sleep. I didn't toss or turn. I didn't move. I just lay rigidly in one spot, my eyes on the ceiling, my arms tight against my side, my breathing slow and heavy, my mind empty, waiting, waiting. The inky black was just beginning to dissolve. A thin line of gray was just beginning to seep insidiously into my room when Zaroff found his quarry. Then, I suppose I slept. When I awoke, the sun's shadows were already slanting through my room. Must have been well after noon. I came down to find General Zaroff pouring himself a glass of brandy by the sideboard. Ah, Mr. Rainsford, feeling better, I trust? Yes. I wish I could say the same. No, I'm not well. Hunting was no good last night. He made a stray trail, offered no problems at all. General, 
I want to leave the island at once. Mr. Rainsford, tonight we will hunt, you and I. No, General. I've told you I will not hunt. I beg you to reconsider. My idea of sport is much more diverting than Ivan. You... You mean that? Yeah. You and I. It's really an inspiration. A foeman worthy of my steel at last. Oh, you'll find this game worth playing, Rainsford. Your brain against mine. Your woodcraft against mine. Your strength and stamina against mine. <laughs> Outdoor chess. And the stake is not without value, eh? And if I win? If I do not find you by midnight of the third day, then I'm defeated. My sloop will place you on the mainland near a town. Oh, you can trust me. I give you my word as a gentleman and as a sportsman. Of course, you in turn must agree to say nothing of your visit here. I'll agree to say nothing of the kind. Well, in that case, well, why discuss it now? Three days from now, we can chat about it over a bottle of Veuve Clicquot. Unless... <laughs> now listen, Rainford. Ivan will supply you with hunting clothes, food and knife. I suggest you wear moccasins. They leave a poorer trail. I suggest, too, you avoid the big swamp in the southeast corner of the island. There's quicksand there. And now you'll want to start, no doubt. I shall not follow until dusk. Hunting at night is so much more exciting than by day, don't you think, Mr. Rainsford? Good hunting. I kept telling myself through tight teeth that I had to keep my head keep my head. My first idea had been to put distance between myself and Zaroff, and so I'd plunged into the jungle in a blind panic. Before long, I shook it off and stopped. Straight flight was futile. It would only bring me out to the sea. Then I hit upon the idea of giving him a trail to follow. I would begin our dangerous game by playing the fox. For more than two hours, I went through the trackless wilderness, executing a series of intricate loops, doubling again and again on my trail. Night found me leg-weary, with hands and face lashed by the branches. I needed rest badly, and having played the fox, I decided now to play the cat. I climbed into the crotch of a huge tree. An apprehensive night crawled slowly by like a wounded snake. Then at dawning, a startled bird suddenly screamed and I flattened against the bow. Through a screen of leaves as thick as tapestry, I saw the general. Came slowly, his eyes fixed on the ground. Almost beneath my tree, he paused and went down on one knee studying the ground. I would have gone for him, leaping the way a panther does. Except for the small automatic in his right hand. After a seemingly endless time, he came back to his feet. His eyes left the ground and traveled inch by inch up the tree. I froze, every muscle tensed for a spring. But the hunter's eyes stopped just before they reached the limb on which I lay. A slow smile spread over his brown face. Oh, Rainsford, where can you have gone? Wherever are you, you clever dog? I simply must go home and lie down a bit to think this over. The pent-up air burst hotly from my lungs as he turned back and disappeared. So, the general was playing with me, was saving me for another day's sport. Zaroff was the cat and I was the mouse. 
In that moment, I knew the real meaning of terror. I slipped from the tree and set off into the woods. I'd only gone a few hundred yards when I found a huge dead tree leaning against a smaller living one. I pulled my knife from its sheath and set to work. When the job was finished, I threw myself down behind a log a hundred feet away. How long I waited, I don't know. Seemed like days. It was probably only a few hours. Then he was coming again, with the sureness of a bloodhound. Nothing, nothing escaped those searching black eyes. No crushed blade of grass, no bent twig, no mark, however faint in the moss. He was so intent on his stalking, he was upon the thing before he saw it, his foot touching the protruding branch that was the trigger. The dead tree, delicately adjusted to rest on the cut living one, crashed heavily to the earth. And I waited yet another moment, not daring to look up and see if it really had done its work. <laughs> Rainsford, if you are within the sound of my voice, let me congratulate you. There aren't many men who know how to make a melee man-catcher. I am a lucky man, Rainsford. My reflexes are still good. Did you see me spring back even while it was falling? Rainsford, can you hear me? You are proving interesting. I'm going back now to have my wound read. Uh, don't be alarmed, it's only a slight one. I shall be back. I shall be back. It was dark and I'd been going for hours. The vegetation became ranker. Insects were biting me savagely. And when mud began sucking viciously at my feet like giant leeches, I knew where I was. About to enter the death swamp with its quicksand. However, the softness of the earth gave me an idea. I stepped back about a dozen paces out of the quicksand and began to dig. When the pit was above my shoulders, I climbed out. And from some hard saplings, I cut stakes, sharpening them to a fine point. I planted the stakes at the bottom of the pit with their points up. With flying fingers, I wove a rough carpet of weeds and branches, and with it I covered the mouth of the pit. Then, wet with sweat and aching with tiredness, I crouched behind the stump of a lightning-blasted tree. I heard the padding sound of feet on the soft earth. I knew he was coming. The night wind brought me the perfume of the general's black cigarette. Although I could see nothing, it seemed to me that he was coming with unusual swiftness, that he was not feeling his way along foot by foot. In one brief moment, I lived an entire year. Then I heard the sharp crackle of breaking branches as the cover of the pit gave way. Ah, you've done well, Rainsford. Very well. Where did you get the tie? Your Burmese tiger pit has claimed one of my best dogs. And so you score again. I must see what you can do now against my whole pack. He went away again, but I just lay there in the swamp that night. At daybreak, I was awakened by a distant sound, faint and wavering, the baying of a pack of hounds. I went up into a tree. Down a watercourse, not a quarter of a mile away, I could see the bush moving. I strained my eyes and saw the lean figure of General Zaroff. Just ahead of him, I made out the gigantic Ivan, holding the pack in leash. I prepared for the native trick I've learned in Uganda. I slipped from the tree, caught hold of a springy young sapling, and to it fastened my knife, its blade pointing down the trail. 
With a bit of wild grapevine, I tied back the sapling and ran for my life. The hounds hit the fresh scent and raised their voices, and I knew how an animal at bay must feel. Even as I ran, the clamor of the hounds suddenly ceased, and with it, my heart stopped. For that meant they'd reached the knife. I climbed excitedly up a tree and looked back, and hope died in my brain. The general was still on his feet. Even, however, was not. The knife, driven by the recoil of the springing tree, had done its work. Then the dogs took up the cry again, and I was on the ground once more. Nerve! Nerve! I panted the words over and over as I fled headlong. A blue gap showed through the trees dead ahead. I forced myself up on towards the gap and reached the sea. It lay 20 feet below me, rumbling and hissing. I stood a moment, poised over the edge. I heard the hounds. I knew it was the end. Then I leaped far out into the water. Well, it's been a busy day, eh, Adam? A busy day. Oh, down, Adam, down. What's the matter, my boy? Hungry? All right, catch. Ah. Uh, it's quite a day. Not perfect, of course. Two slight annoyances. One is it will be difficult to replace Ivan. And the other... Well, our quarry escaped us, didn't he, Adam? But then, of course, the American didn't really play the game. So we won't count it. We won't count it at all. All right, my boy, that's enough for now. Out you go with the rest. Better luck another time. <gasps> Rainsford. Good evening, Jack. How did you get here? I swam. I found that quicker than walking through the jungle. <laughs> I congratulate you. You have won the game. No, General. Yes, yes of course you have. I'm still a beast at bay. Get ready, General Zarov. I see. Splendid. One of us is to furnish a meal for the hounds. The other will sleep in this very excellent bed. Good, Rainsford. Good. Anger. <laughs> The general was right. Never before in my life had I slept in a better bed. Escape is produced by William N. Robeson and was directed tonight by Richard Sanville. You have escaped tonight in the Richard Connell story, The Most Dangerous Game. Adapted for radio by Irving Ravitch with Paul Fries as Sanger Rainsford and Hans Conried as General Zaroff. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week, you're sitting at the throttle of a speeding locomotive, screaming around the curves of a mountain gorge. Racing against time with death at your shoulder. Next week, you're the engineer of the Yellow Mail.
Next week, CBS offers you Escape with Frank H. Spearman's exciting story of railroading the run of the Yellow Mail. Until this same time next week, then, good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I used to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Looking for a personal injury lawyer in San Francisco, look no further than Francis J. Shaheda. Mr. Shaheda did an amazing job with my case. First, he informed the courts about my case that had not been scheduled or submitted yet, despite the language on the citation. Confused and afraid of the legal system, but he did it all for me. He communicated promptly via email with any of my questions. I was afraid of an enormous fine for a small infraction, as well as a criminal offense on my record, but he spoke to the DA to have my case removed from criminal court and put into the community court system. I am so overwhelmingly happy with the results he generated and would recommend him to anyone with legal issues. This is a personal first-person narrative because Francis J. Shaheda helped me personally, helped Mutiny Radio go to him for personal injury issues. You can email him at www.personalinjuryattorneyfjs.com. Again, the law office of Francis J. Shaheda in San Francisco.
awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! The Night Space brings you high time story time every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. Listen to San Francisco's finest underground comedians read crazy stories written by me, Arden, on The Night Space. The Night Space featuring high time story time every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. High Time Story Time Volume 1 now available on Amazon.com for Kindle and electronic download. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. Howdy, mutineers. It is I, Stolowitz, Dark Lord of the Sith, and several dive bars in San Jose. Every Tuesday night from 10 p.m. to midnight, join me in my quest to escape from the occult oubliette, a world of violence, intrigue, sexuality, mysticism, magic, and leftover spaghetti. Enjoy my insane rants about leftist causes, Midwestern witchcraft, the ascendancy of Skynet, and why neo-paganism is vastly overrated. 
I've got guests, music, comedy, and old Alan Watts lectures from the 70s. How can you resist? You can't. I put a spell on you. Ah! MutinyRadio.fm is an official shrine of the miraculous garlic of Mount Cavalry. We are not associated with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, except on Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Hope to see you there. Or hear you, I should say. He's 